There's an awkward transition, a, a classic hymn right into a progressive commercial, uh, but I promise there's a point. So uh, you ever have those moments where you like feel like, hey, I totally just said something my parents would say, or you start to do things that you're like, I never would do that, but my parents used to, to do that, and now I'm doing that. Um, real quick, just with some people around you, maybe you're by some family, what's one thing that you're like, that you said or did that you never thought that you would say or do, that your parents said or did, okay? Uh, maybe it's a classic line that one of your parents uses. Uh, maybe it's a thing that you just started to do that's kind of a quirk, that's like a family quirk. Just share something with somebody next to you. Well, I've, I've had a lot, to be honest with you. Just this week, I, I said the classic line. I know it was, as it was getting cold, I was going to say it at some point. But like, hey, guys, are we trying to heat the entire neighborhood? That was definitely one that's like, you guys just want to leave the doors open? We can just heat the whole neighborhood, right? Um, and there's one that, that I, I say a lot now that my mom used to say, and she probably would still say to me. Um, but I'm one of these guys, and it's going to happen. You're going to hear, some of you are going to hear this line uh, come Thanksgiving. But some of you are kind of grazers by habit, like when it comes to the food and there's the appetizers out. And there's usually kind of that stuff that they put out to keep the scavengers at bay, you know, just like out of the way of the people cooking. And so there's all this. And I am just like, it doesn't matter what it is. It's a lot of times like little cheeses and sausages and little appetites. Like I'm just on that, like over and over again. I'm on that stuff. I'm eating it. I'm like in the mix, like of the kitchen, like, you know, nervously walking around eating things. And it is inevitable that at some point uh, my mom will say, maybe, maybe your mom will say the same thing. But what's that classic line that somebody's going to tell you? You're going to spoil your dinner, right? Like, that's the classic. And now I say that very thing to my kids. They're like all snacking. Guys, you're going to spoil your dinner, okay? So it's happening. I'm officially my parents now, and maybe uh, you're in that same boat. Now, uh, as we talk about this idea of legacy, this idea of leaving a legacy, um, I really was thinking this week about Jesus and his example. Now, Jesus wasn't just like his father. He was the perfect picture of his father. He was the perfect picture of his father. And the, the reason he came was to reveal his father's heart and to carry out his father's purpose. And so Jesus very much gravitated to the things of his father. I mean, this, is, this, this was who he was. He was one and the same with his father. And so he wasn't just becoming his father. He was living out his father's very purpose uh, on earth. Now, this came to light um, very early for Jesus, uh, even as he was a kid. And he had this earthly family, but he was very much acutely aware of um, his heavenly role and his divine role. And uh, so they're going, the, his, his earthly family is traveling, and they're going up to Jerusalem to, uh, to celebrate the Passover meal. And so they're, they're, a lot of times what would happen is like these big groups, maybe this size, would like travel together, this big extended family. All of us in our extended families would, would make the trip together. And uh, so they'd make this trip up, and then they'd make the trip back. Now, on the trip back, they realized something uh, or rather someone was missing. It was like a modern-day home alone. Like, they're like, wait a second, like, was Jesus with you? No, I thought he was with you. And all of the, they're looking at all the extended family. Like, did, well, like, did, any, did Jesus, he come with anybody? And uh, they come to find out that Jesus had not come. In fact, he had extended his stay in Jerusalem, 
without letting anyone know. And so here he is back. And so they, they worried, obviously, as any parents would be. And so they start heading back. They're like, we left them there, you know? Now, some of you feel bad because you've maybe left your kids at school or whatever. Can you imagine leaving your kids like in a totally different city, you know? And so here Jesus was, he's, he's in this. Uh, so, it, and it's now been three days, okay? So it says, after three days, they found him in the temple and he was sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. As I just imagine, here he is, he's just very, you know, he's just hanging out with the, the teachers, you know, of the law and the, the, the teachers of the time, and he's asking all of these questions. And it says that all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, as you can imagine, any worried mother would say, right, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I were seeking you anxiously. We were worried about you, right? And any mother or father would have that same feeling, right? And, and here's Jesus' response. And he said to them, why did you, I don't recommend this answer, kids, by the way, either. He said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Did you not know that I must be about, he plays the God card, you know? Like, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they don't get what he's saying. It says, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Like, they're like, like what? About this father's business? Like, your dad's a carpenter. Like, what, what are you talking about, you know? And uh, so here he is. He's sitting among the, the scholars, you know, and the teachers of the day. And uh, he says, I must be about my father's business. Now, this concept was lost on them, and this same concept, I think, is lo lost on most people today. Because if you were to go tell somebody, hey, I have a, an agenda that's not my own, I'm about my father's business, right, or I'm about God's business, or I'm, I'm doing God's bidding, or however you might say that, for most people today, they look you like kind of confused, like, wh what do you mean by that? And why would anybody live for a purpose that was other than their own, like, you know, why, why be about somebody, be about your business? Like, why you got to be about your father? What does that mean? And it's certainly a concept, I think, that's lost in modern culture, uh, living a life beyond just living for ourselves. I think really, here and now, the, the, the main thrust is just be true to you or live for you, right? It's, it's all this sort of me-centric picture of what it means to live my life. So, there was no clear picture of the phrase like father, like son. In fact, in John 10, 37 through 38, Jesus says, Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. And so there's this oneness, this continuity between God's mission, God's redemptive purpose, and Jesus' redemptive purpose. Now, what I'd like to do for you just uh, for a second, is we've been on this topic of legacy. I'd like to broaden kind of our understanding of what that means. And I think, you know, we've, we've been talking about this idea of having this life that outlives you. And I think a lot of times we think of this word legacy, and we sort of think about just our, our family, maybe our kids, maybe even our grandkids, and we've kind of got this picture of, like, legacy. And it's really limited to um, our, our family line. And we might think of well, legacy, that's kind of like if I went and looked up like Ancestry.com and like trace back my roots and like see kind of what, you know, my family did. And all that stuff's well and good, right? It's great to know our family story. It's great to understand our roots. Um, and, you know, often we ask the question then, okay, how do I fit into that story, right? Or how do I, um, and some of you are like, how do I break the mold of that story, right? 
Um, and what kind of legacy am I leaving behind? Like, what kind of mark am I leaving uh, for my family, right? And we think about it this way. And I think, again, that's all well and good, but I think there is a bigger picture here of legacy. And I think that it goes well beyond just your earthly legacy. It goes well beyond just your immediate family connections. In fact, what if I told you today that your legacy is way more than anything you can search for at Ancestry.com? You don't just have an earthly legacy. You have a divine destiny. You have an eternal legacy. You have a legacy that if you trace it back through Jesus and your relationship to Jesus and being adopted into God's family, that you have a legacy that really extends before time began. And we maximize our potential both here and now, rippling into eternity when we do what Jesus demonstrated. The way that we change the trajectory to just having sort of some sort of temporal legacy or leaving some temporal mark. And everybody wants to do that, right? At least at some level, I think that everybody wants to leave at least some kind of mark or make some kind of difference or feel like their life counted, you know? But what I think really separates us as the people of God is that we get this invitation and really this opportunity to not just have a temporal legacy, but an eternal legacy. Not just make an earthly difference, but really see an eternal difference being made by the life that we live here and now. And if you really think about it that way, it's a very powerful concept to wrap your mind and heart around. So what I want to do for just a little bit today is get back into that text. And I was, uh, I was informed that I've been reading out of 2 Timothy 6. It's actually 1 Timothy 6. <coughs> so um, all of these are going to appear a little bit. Um, it's actually all 1 Timothy, so uh, if you're following along. So somebody's like asked me, like, what version of the Bible are you reading from? I was like, well, uh, <laughs> apparently the wrong one, you know, uh, but it is 1 Timothy. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6, picking up uh, where we left off last week in verses 11 through 16. And so let's read along, and we're going to see what we can glean about living this divine destiny, this uh, eternal legacy. And here's what Paul tells Timothy. He says, but you, man of God, Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. And so Paul leans in to this young Timothy. Timothy uh, is really kind of his son in the faith. And so Timothy has just this great amount of respect for Paul, and Paul is writing this as a very personal letter to Timothy, but there's so much we can glean as he charges him with some things and really um, just downloads some truths into his life. And he really starts in this section, I think it's interesting how he addresses him, right? He says, but you, man of God. And so here he is, his spiritual father, and he's saying to him, he's listening, looking him in the eyes, and he's saying, listen, you are a man of God. You are a man of God, Timothy. And I think that it's easy for us, if we're not careful, to lose that identity, 
to lose our true identity. We've got to lean into our identity. And that's why Paul really speaks to him first and foremost at an identity level. I mean, certainly he's given him some things on the, on, you know, out of that. But he's saying, listen, Timothy, you need to understand. Don't forget who you are. And he speaks powerfully into him when he says, you are a man of God. And I think it can be easy to get amnesia regarding who we are created to be. In fact, there are plenty of other voices, aren't there, around us that want to reduce our identity down, that want to distort it all together. We've been, uh, my, my son Eli is now kind of the age now where he's, he's trying to spell things, you know, and so it's funny because he's like, right now his spelling is just reading things like that he sees and say like, what does this spell? And I'll know it's like something in the car or something that we're like passing by, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, so I'm like, that's my, my best guess is like he's just reading off of something. So he'll do that. And the, but the other day he goes, hey, I know how to spell dad. And I'm like, okay, that's a pretty simple one. Like maybe he learned how to spell dad. I was like, he's going to tell him, he's like, okay, tell me how you spell dad. And he goes, dad is D-O-D-O. And I'm like, did he just call me, a, you know, he's insulted me? Like he called me a dodo? You know? I'm like, no, I'm not a dodo, you know? Now, obviously, he means no harm, and uh, I've been called a lot worse things, by the way, than that. Um, but there is, in fact, one who aims to have me and each of us forgetting who we are. There is one whose aim is to distort who God has created us to be. There is one whose native language is lies and who wants to do everything he can to keep your divine destiny at bay. So he will have you thinking you're never going to get beyond that past failure. He's going to keep bringing up the past, right? I mean, this is one of the best strategies, saying, hey, you're no better than you were however many years ago, right? You're no better than that guy that did whatever, right? And he loves to kind of get this, you know, re replay booth out and just, let's, hey, let's replay that one over again, right? Let's play that one over again. That's, you're no better than that. That's who you are. You're never going to exceed that. You're never going to be better than that, right? And this is the, we give headspace to this kind of talk. And so he, he, we get amnesia in this way. He likes us thinking about our past failures. He likes you keep thinking that you're nothing more than your current struggle. That thing that you can't get past right now, that thing you keep falling back into, that thing that's just wearing you out right now, you're like, hey, he wants you thinking you're no more than that current struggle, that you're never going to make it through that current struggle. And what he'll do is he'll continue to amplify your weaknesses. Why? Because he wants to keep your divine destiny at bay. He wants to keep you from living out that eternal legacy. But don't get amnesia. You are a man of God. You are a woman of God. You are a child of the Most High King. You have the power of the Spirit of the living God flowing through your veins. You have a resurrected Savior who's taken up residence in your heart and life. You have more potential than you ever could imagine because your God is the one who can do immeasurably more than anything you could ask or imagine. That is who you are. And because of who you are, you have a divine destiny beyond your wildest dreams. You have an eternal legacy. And when you have your head around that, you can pursue the things of God and flee from the things that are inconsistent with God. And so that's why Paul starts out by saying, listen, Timothy, you are a man of God. You are a child of God. Don't forget that. Why? Because if you forget that, you might start to fall back into these other things. But if you remember who you are, you remember in which direction you go, and you pursue things like righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, and all the things that we talked about last month as we talked about the fruits of the Spirit, 
We are God's children. We are beloved. We are redeemed. We are freed from sin's bondage. We are citizens of God's holy kingdom. Let these words wash over you. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Thank you. Um, Thank you, son. Appreciate that. It's a good time for a break. So in light of who you are, Timothy, fight the good fight, is what he tells him. Fight the good fight. In light of who you are, fight the good fight. And in verse 12 is what he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Now, what's the good fight? Well, the good fight is what we continue to do each and every day as we aim to live up to and live out this faith that God has so freely given us. Paul gives strong language here as not to take this important business lightly as if it will just come naturally, as if it will just happen, that these things will just pursue themselves in our lives. He understands that it won't be easy to live counterculturally. Instead, it will be a fight each and every day. And those of you that are trying to live the faith journey, that are live the Christian life, you understand that it is a fight. And I'm not suggesting our salvation is anything less than a gift of God's endless grace, but living out our calling to grow in Christ-likeness, how many of you know that is a fight? It is a fight because we naturally gravitate back to the things that we were before. N.T. Wright talks about this being the chief aim of the life that has accepted Christ in his book, After You Believe. He says, after you believe, then what? And he talks about then our journey from there. It says that the aim of the Christian life in the present time, the goal you are meant to be aiming at once you have come to faith, the goal which is within reach even in the present life, anticipating the final life to come, is the life of fully formed, fully flourishing Christian character. And so the fight is that we continue to be formed into the likeness of God. It's our formation. This is the fight that we take on each and every day. It's about who we are becoming. And if we want to leave a if we want to leave a legacy that outlive a life that li- live a life that outlives us, it's all about who we are becoming. So who are we becoming? N.T. Wright goes on to describe Christian character as, and I like this definition, it's the hard-fought second nature. It's the hard-fought second nature. And it doesn't come automatically, but over time, as we continue to fight for this, we see these things more and more as a part of who. We are. It's the hard-fought second nature. I don't know if any of you guys uh, or your kids or watch the, uh, like, Dude Perfect or anything like this or, like, all of these. We watch all of these, like, it's a bunch of trick shots and stuff. So, like, all of these crazy trick shots that you could never imagine with boomerangs and bottle flips and card throws and all the stuff. And it all happens in my house, you know, like this is where we try out all the things that we, you know, we've seen on all these YouTube videos. This is like constant trick shots, like happening all the time. It's like crazy. And, uh, but you watch these videos and you'd get the impression that like these guys just like don't miss. Like they just do these impossible things like in their first try. But when you actually go behind the scenes, you see it's like all these outtakes, right? All of these hours. And we did one the other day, Aiden had come up with, he's like, hey, I want to throw a card in the air, Dad, and you're going to take, we have this magnetic dartboard, you're going to stick the card to the dartboard um, with the magnetic dart. 
And so over and over again, I mean, I'm talking, we spent probably at least an hour on this or more, but he would just throw the card up and I would try to hit the thing. And we missed and missed and missed and missed. And I'm like, finally, like, dude, like, this isn't going to happen. Like, and then one of those tosses, the card went up and boom, I nailed it right down the middle and the card was sticking there. I, you have to ask him for confirmation, but I, 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 we didn't get it on video, but I promise that it happened. I wouldn't lie to you. And so it was like this super cool moment when this finally came to fruition. And I share that to say, I think a lot of times we look around at like other people's lives and we see that victory or we see that moment or we see their highlight reel on social media and we think that they must just be as good as they appear. Like that's just, and that just sort of happened automatically. That's just the person that they are. And maybe you encounter other Christians or other uh, people that you know and you see these things and then you're like, man, how did they like, how do they have that level of peace or how do they have that level of joy or how are they so generous, right? We think that it just happened automatically, but really what happens is, how do you become generous? Small acts of generosity over time, right? You continue to live that out. You continue to act that out. And over time, you become more and more generous. And this is how it works. And there's, there's ups and downs in that, right? But it is a hard fight. But it's a fight worth making to continue to make those attempts and continuing to seek after the things of God each and every day that we can be more like Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, Be steadfast, immovable, and I love this part, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So those, all those attempts that feel maybe useless or like, hey, what is this amounting to? Or what is all this effort to be more like, what is it? Continue to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. That work is not in vain. That hard fight is not in vain. So keep fighting the good fight. Next, he goes on in verses 14 to 15 to tell Timothy this. He says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. He says, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. I mean, right there, that's like enough to say, I could, live a, I could build a legacy on that. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. What's he saying here? He's not just saying, hey, one day when death finds you, go ahead and take hold of eternal life at that point. He's saying, no, take hold of eternal life right here and now. This is not some future thing. This is, I want you to step into and live right now in light of the eternal life to which you have freely been given. And then he mentions a couple of things that are interesting. First, he mentions that you were called into that. So in many ways, Paul is telling Timothy, listen, you were drafted into this, right? You were drafted into this. You were called. You were brought into this. And he's also saying that you, were enlist, you enlisted because he says when you made your good confession. And so he made the confession. He enlisted. He signed on the dotted line. He says, I'm all in for this. And so you were both called. You were both drafted and enlisted. And don't forget that. Those who take on the divine legacy of Christ are called, chosen, and drafted by God in one sense and enlisted in another sense. They enlist themselves in the eternal realm for the eternal king. And when we sign up for that, we focus our attention, our life, we bend our life and, and, and structure our life around eternity. 
Not the other way around, try to fit eternity into sort of this temporal life. We do the opposite. We, we live in anticipation of eternity. We fix our eyes and our attention on eternity, and we chase after the things of the eternal realm. When I was a kid, um, and I know you're not supposed to, I'm not supposed to mention the S word just yet, the snow word, you know. It's not time just yet, I don't think. Although I'm good with snow, I like snow, and I, I'm told we're not going to get any until like February. And, uh, but I don't know if that's true. But when I was a kid, I used to love the snow, and one of the things I would do is I would take and shovel my entire driveway, and I would make like a giant like igloo. Anybody else like ever build these like ice forts or these igloos? And so I'd, I'd be shoveling out there like, you know, it felt like all day. You know, I'm just one pile after another and you pile it up, you pile it up. You get as absolutely as much snow as you can. And it only really works on big snowstorms, right? And so when we'd have one of those big snowstorms, I would just try to make this mountain of snow uh, in my driveway. And so it was a process once you got all that snow up there, then you'd have to pack all that snow down, and it was just packing and packing and packing, hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of just packing and packing and shoveling and packing more down. And then what you would do is you finally, after all of that, you get the opportunity to do what you wanted to do, which is start dig it out and get this nice, sweet fortress, like, on the inside. And so then I would be, like, chipping away. I'd be chiseling away at that, you know. I'm talking, like, this was an entire day, like, project, you know, and then at some point, I don't know what the point of it all is, to be honest with you, you like climb in there and sit in like a cold, like, you know, little hut, like, like okay, this is, this is it, you know, uh, why I'm not in my house with my family by the fire, I don't know, but this is cool, you know, this is my fort, and so I'd like read books in there, you know, like um, with a flashlight, not a candle, you know, it's, it's not a good idea, just you know, just so you know. Um, but so you'd get in there and you just hang out, you know, it was super cool. And then I was like super excited about my creation. I step out and I looked and next door they built an igloo that was like twice the size of mine. I'm like, I'm no longer content with my creation, you know, like I'm like now I got to like steal snow from some driveway next door and start packing it on again, right, because their igloo is bigger than mine. And so I did, I built it up and it was like awesome and now my igloo's bigger, you know, and I'm like, you know, like I can kind of walk with my chest puffed out for approximately one day because of Ohio weather, you know, and so now I had this big igloo that I built, and it's melting to the ground, you know, like I literally had like, I don't, my fort is gone, and my, my, you know, dreams are crushed, and all of this, and, uh, you know, this is a parable, by the way, I'm telling you guys a parable, and uh, it's not as good as Jesus's parables, but it, it does have a point, and uh, the point is this, when we build our life out of temporal things, we shouldn't be surprised if it melts to the ground. We shouldn't be surprised if at one point in time, it melts to the ground. Now, there's nothing wrong with ambitions, but a life that's built solely on personal ambition will eventually melt away. There's nothing wrong with building wealth, but a life built solely on wealth will eventually melt away. We can't take that stuff with us. There's nothing wrong with getting recognition, but a life built on earthly acknowledgement and accolades eventually melts away. And there's a lot of things, and you just have to, we have to evaluate our own life and we really think about the things that we spend our time and our energy chasing after and running after and, and doing this whole thing, right? And sometimes it's the comparison game. You're like, man, I need to get where they're at, right? And then in getting where they're at, we're continuing to, we're both building things that are eventually going to melt to the ground. And so I think we have to step back and evaluate, okay, what am I investing my time into? What am I investing my life into? What am I spending all this time and energy? Am I building literally something 
with all this time and energy that's going to eventually not really matter in the end? So that's the question I think we all have to face. And if we're trying to live an eternal legacy, we think about, okay, what are the things that matter? Well, relationships matter. The people in my life matter. Spreading the gospel matters. Helping people understand a a life of following Jesus matters. Helping download those truths into the lives of our kids. That matters. Those things matter. But how often do those things sort of just become secondary to this ice castle that we're building each and every day? So are you investing in really the thrust of your life? Is it toward eternal things? Is that the trajectory? Reminds me of what Jesus said much more succinctly when he said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those that thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. And so lean into your identity. Live up to your eternal legacy by continuing to live in light of eternity. And these are some things that Paul reminds Timothy both for himself and for those that he leads. And then I love how this letter ends. Because it's almost like Paul just totally gets distracted on what he was talking about, but he makes a really strong point in doing so. So Paul, he's telling him all this good stuff, you know, he's giving him his three-point sermon, and then all of a sudden he gets onto the topic of God, and he just gets totally wound up, like about God. He's like all wound up about God, and so he goes on, and he says, and I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. And then he's like, God. He's just like, he's like, gets kind of right. He's like, God. And then he starts thinking about God. He's like, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable life, who no one has, has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. And so he sort of breaks out into worship right here in the middle of his instruction to Timothy. Now, there should be no mistake to us right here and really all throughout Timothy's letter or Paul's letters, there should be no mistake for us of who the object of Paul's greatest affection is. I mean, he just gets wound up just thinking about God and he wants to just listen, Timothy. This is the God that we serve. Paul's God is the God who is immeasurable. He's immeasurable. He's blessed. He's he's happy, right? He's happier than any other being in all the universe. He's the only ruler. The only one that matters, the one true authority in heaven and across the earth. He is the king of the kings. There's no earthly power that even comes close. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the only one whose essence is immortal. Who else do you know that can classify as that, right? Saying, listen, our God can't be touched. He's immortal. He is so pure and spotless and holy that he lives in unapproachable light. That we couldn't even dare to like come close to him. If we accidentally were to gaze on the fullness of his glory, we'd be reduced to ash. True story, that happened, right? You mishandle God or you come into God's presence carelessly and you could literally be reduced to ash. To him be glory and honor and might forever. 
And so Paul, both by his example and through his words, he reminds Timothy really of what is at the core of a life or a legacy that is more than just temporal and is truly eternal, a life that is really living out a divine destiny. Their anthem is this, to him be honor and might forever. To him be honor and might forever. That's the reason they get out of bed every morning. To him be honor and might forever. That's the reason that they invest in the lives of people around them. That's the reason that they do things that might go unnoticed. That's the reason that they continue to give their best in things big and small each and every day. To him be honor and might forever. So how do we know if we're leaving a legacy? How do we know if we're living a life that's going to outlive us? Well, is he getting honor? Are we celebrating his might forever? Amen? The more honor we bestow upon God, the more our life outlives us. So here's just a suggestion. Maybe you begin each day if you haven't really thought about it this way. Maybe making God's business your business is just entirely new thought for you, and that's okay. In fact, if you've never done anything else, the first order of business, the first piece of business in your life that God has for you is simply to receive the gift of his son Jesus, to say yes, to be baptized into him and to say, I'm committing my life to him. I want to live for more than just me. I want to live for the more that I was created for. And so the first piece of business is just to meet God, to say, God, listen, I don't want to be defined by my past. I don't want to be defined by my mistakes or I want to rise above that. I want to have the victory that you have offered me and given me. And so first order of business is that. Then from there, we get to live a life of making God's business our business. So we get to wake up maybe with this kind of prayer every morning. God, how can I bring honor today to you in ways big and small? God, lead me toward opportunities to use my life as a living sacrifice to present to you. God, I want to make your business my business today and every day. This is how we live a life that outlives us, friends. I want to close with a prayer. It was a prayer um, from 1380. So this is, this is a man that lived from 1380 to 1470. He was a St. Thomas Akempis. And I think that what he has to say in the prayer that he offered is a prayer that if we were to, to lean into it, we could see ourselves living this kind of legacy. Lord, you know what is best. Let this be done or that be done as you please. Give what you will as much as you will when you will. Do with me as you know best, as will most please you, and will be for your greater honor. Place me where you will and deal with me freely in all things. I am in your hands. Turn me about whichever way you will. Behold, I am your servant, ready to obey in all things. Not for myself do I desire to live, but for you. Would that I do this worthily and perfectly. God, thank you. For your goodness. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We just want to be your servants. We want to live in such a way, God, that our life really does outlive us. That Just quite simply, God, we don't always know the best way to do it. We don't always know exactly which way to go, God, but help us just to wake up each day, God, with a sense of purpose that extends more be- way beyond our lifetime, and that's 
joining you, God, in your great redemptive work, God. Help us to make your business our business. We give you thanks in Jesus' name.